Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. We got the whole gang here and uh, big plans for the future. Um, we're not going to say much about him because we're still like in the planning phase of course but um um yeah we're here back again all the three of us Vansh, owen how you guys doing yeah i'm doing good good to have the three of us uh back here again and uh you know some stuff has happened since the u.s open and tennis is tennis is fun as usual so happy to be here yeah about the same here this is usually the time of the calendar when i get really burned out so i'm feeling that a little bit but uh, i'm yeah. excited to be here as well yeah, it's a funny feeling. Uh, I remember like last year, um, right after the US Open, we were just sort of like talking about like how the ATP finals are just like, is this really worth it watching or something? And then by the time that it comes by, we're just like, oh my gosh, it was so awesome. Like the matches are great. It it just kind of always feels that way. But yeah, and I totally get the feeling. And um, I think it doesn't help that Roger Federer and Serena Williams both have tried like back to back, like in weeks, essentially. So it almost feels like tennis is over in a sense like in general it just kind of needs a hard reset um but yeah we are actually here to talk about roger federer retiring and just like his uh his career his influence in sport and ourselves as tennis fans or uh club players and vansh probably as a junior um and um yeah what do you what do you guys what do you guys take first impressions on the, his retirement announcement and everything like that yeah so um you know a lot of there's probably a lot of words that won't do justice to you know what he meant for tennis and his legacy just in terms of really being an iconic figure in sports but i guess just just for me personally he's been he's been a massive reason of why i'm in tennis in the first place like just a massive reason of why i started playing why i started watching why i started following this game uh why i played the juniors a lot of a lot of it was just watching federer play you know like i really don't know a world without roger federer just because he's been around for so long right he's been around since been a pro since 1998 uh, mostly been a fan for the second half of his career which is in the 2010s but nonetheless he started off this massive era of, of, of what we call the big three and of course big four as well with murray in there and you know for a while there was a period in the early 2000s where there were so many new world number ones right so many new um players winning majors and sort of we didn't really know who who the next king was going to be right because you had um obviously had Sampras and Agassi dominant for a while but then there was kind of a period in between where you thought Federer might be the guy but he was but but not many people really did because there was a lot of talent and there was a lot of tools that he had but he didn't quite put it all together until 2003 and then of course we know the rest is history but really just just him retiring right now in a way it kind of feels it feels right, but it also is. It also just hit me really hard in the moment, just because. Yes, he hasn't been around a lot since 2020, and you know, hasn't hasn't his knee hasn't cooperated with him, and um, he he even just as early as this Wimbledon, right? He when he was there in, at Wimbledon for the for the centurial thing, like the hundred years celebration, when he was there, he said, you know, that he hopes to play next year. So at that point, I was still thinking, okay, he's gonna probably give it a go and maybe next year will be the farewell at Wimbledon or some some other place. But uh, the fact that he then had another setback, I think after that he was like, this is, it's time now. Like, and and then, and you know, at first when he was announcing at the, at the Labor Cup, I felt I had like a mix of emotions because I was thinking, you know, obviously uh, it's, it, it's, it's really tough, especially, um, it, it's especially just processing all of the news and then also just, um, you know, I, I, just the fact that he wasn't playing Basel, I think that was really telling. And and in a way, I'm kind of glad that he ended it here now because because of what the occasion was, right? Because, just because of all the scenes that we saw with all the big four being there, it was just it was just the most perfect iconic way to 
end your career. I just can't, I can't think of a better way or the outcome. It doesn't really matter to me that they lost the doubles match or that he, he had match point in his last match didn't win. Like I don't, all that stuff doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's, it was about the celebration. And I think it, it, it was such a federal thing to do. And it just, yeah, it'll, it'll stay with me forever. Like that last Friday that we saw those images that we saw of, Federer and Nadal sitting on the bench holding hands, but Djokovic also behind them. Yeah, you know, consoling Federer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know him in tears, his family in tears, his agent, his you know his kids. You know, the part that really got me was also when he uh, was hugging his kids and he was crying and he was saying, "I'm not happy. Um, I, like, no, I'm, I'm really happy and I'm happy not sad." Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, he was just yeah. And then and then of course you had the whole uh, you know this the send off that he got with with uh with just all of his rivals and his tears like who, who else gets that kind of send-off like who else has that kind of impact in sports it's just you, you know he's one of those that just transcended the game like lebron and tiger woods and all the all the other iconic athletes like in all the other sports so yeah yeah, yeah i probably yeah. talked way too long but no, yeah. you're all good it, it's funny Vonch. i like i think i share some of your emotions but i think in some other ways my reaction sort of contrasted with yours like um for those who don't know, Federer was how I got into tennis. Uh, the first major I watched was uh, the 2016 French Open where he didn't play. But I think my fandom kind of went off a fair bit uh, at Wimbledon that year when he had a run to the semis, beat Chilich in the quarters, saving some match points. Um, so I was like a head over heels fan of his for a while. Um, but then I think in 2020 and 2021, um, when I was becoming an even more intense fan of tennis and when he didn't really play, I felt like I sort of had time to process his retirement before it happened in those years. And since um, I hadn't been into tennis for that long, I mean, that was like almost half of the time, not almost half, but like two years out of the four five, six that I had been a fan. Um, And so I think for me, that was enough time to kind of process it. And so I felt a bit weird because I don't think I really felt the emotions from labor cup in a way that others seemed to like, I, um, Hmm. I, like the moment with Nadal was was incredibly sweet. Um, you know, shout out to Ella Ling for some of what will surely go down as like some of the best sports photography ever because those images were incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I I couldn't cry about it. Um, I, I thought it was amazing to have the big four there. But I, yeah, I, I don't know something. I think something about the emotional state I was in just didn't line up exactly with the moment. Like um, Vance, you said. Um, it didn't really matter to you that he lost or that he lost for a match point up. I, I wish I could have felt that way because during the match, I was thinking like, I'm really having trouble imagining them losing this and I really want them to win. But then when they lost for a match point up, I was like, that's just tennis, you know, like of, of course the scoring system is going to be that cruel, even in a moment like this, because that's just how it is. Um, and so I thought about that for a while. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's going to take me some more time to sort of sort through how I feel because I'm, I'm not really sure yet. Yeah. It was pretty crazy how like the, the only thing that I thought about, like uh, his doubles match, was how sadly, um, on like on brand with late 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 years Federer, he was to lose from match point down on his own serve. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a sad moment, like as in like we would wish that he could serve this one out, but like unfortunately, it was it wasn't to be. But honestly, like 2022 Federer, who hasn't played since getting bagel by Huber Hurkarch last year at Wimbledon was not the same who almost beat Djokovic in 2019. Yeah, but, so, but can yeah. we talk about that a bit? Like consensus yeah. was sort of that like he carried Rafa during this match. He oh, was yeah. so nervous that he was missing all kinds of easy shots and Federer yeah. on one leg was actually the better player. Um yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty I, I thought impressive. that as well. Like yeah. he was Rafa yeah. was so tight, right? He was missing a lot of yeah. <laughs> volleys. He was and you know it's very understandably so, right? Like he we have to say like Rafa basically just came for Roger in this tournament because exactly. yeah. he's going he left through the next day. personal stuff at home and with his you know his wife is is pregnant yeah. right now. And of course we don't know the details of that. We don't need to, but essentially mm-hmm. it's essentially he just came for Federer's farewell. So yeah. I thought I, I thought considering all of that, I don't even think he was at full fitness and or anything like that. So so he if he, he I think by far was the most nervous of all the players. Yeah. <laughs> it was and, yeah. and Federer actually, you know, when he was connecting with the shots, like, you know, he was yeah. he didn't miss too much. Like he was hitting no, he was yeah, his volleys were his, good, man. I mean, so he can always. still serve on one leg, he can still serve all four corners of the box. Like it's his just amazing. Like, I, yeah. I mean, he hit that ace at what five on the super tie break. He he hit some other like forehands. Like when he was connecting, yeah, the movement is not anywhere close to where it was yeah. in, in 2019. I think probably that forehand that he missed on match point, he probably would have made that in 2019. But 
I, the reason why I wasn't so upset is like I was happy he just finished the match and he was able yeah. to play without any getting injured in between. You know, like yeah. no, no, nothing major happened. He was able to finish it, and he was. Yeah, it was a was good competitive match as well. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, that he wasn't. I think like if you were just there for the tennis, yeah. if you were yeah. just there for the tennis and not the stuff at the end, you would have liked it as well. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Those matches. Yeah, and, and Vance, you talked, you touched on this a bit, but like, it's so remarkable to me that you know the four were there and the three were there, and that like you know Djokovic on the sidelines, who I think probably could have looked at this as like my god you know i'm still the third wheel after all of this and like he he was into it too like he was rooting yeah. for them he was emotional yeah. at the ends like nadal was emotional and and i think it's important to stress like so federer and djokovic have never really been that close federer and nadal like the bromance has been talked about for a long time but like as recently as 2014 nadal is like yeah i mean we respect each other but, like we're not friends we're not best friends and like a, a lot has changed like yeah. these guys are um federer and nadal are like really good friends now like i think djokovic is getting to a place where like he could call himself friends with both of them um and given yeah. the history they have between them, it's remarkable. Yeah. I don't know how it's possible. Um, yeah. And I'm really happy we got it. Yeah. And speaking of, of history, like you said, they couldn't connect. And because like you've been following tennis since essentially like 2016, like I remember, like for me, like uh, as a as a kid and like learning tennis and just kind of getting into it, like was basically 2007, um, essentially prime federate fed, years and Nadal literally just kind of getting up there. Um, I watched the 2008 Wimbledon final live. It was phenomenal. That's all you could talk about in the club the next day. It felt like a time, like a, like an era changing moment. And sort of was, sort of not, wasn't, but like it was definitely a, a big match. But, it, you know, like growing up, uh, it felt like tennis was synonymous with like Federer in first, Nadal being second and Djokovic being third. And uh, they all chasing Federer. And it, it just kind of feels feels off just kind of Federer not not being there but I guess like a lot of and I just kept thinking like of all the people that came back in the past like the fans of tennis of like the 70s and 80s and 90s will have to like see this time and time again and uh uh it's obviously like something that I felt like man it's just like tennis is changing for me as well like it's just kind of uh interesting kind of not relying on the players so much anymore but like really just kind of like seeing the sport and like what's going to happen and I guess it's gonna it helps a lot in terms of fan bases as well because I guess people can kind of look past that and start enjoying players as they're playing and hopefully it's gonna be the case. Um, not saying that Nadal should retire, but like when Nadal decides that it's time to call it a call it a career, maybe things are gonna get a little bit better and for Djokovic as well. Like when he when he goes by, and I, I think Djokovic. I will say this yeah. was um this was the most united I've seen big three. Oh yeah, ever. <laughs> and honestly, the fact that they the four of them were there and like uh, Djokovic, especially Djokovic, Nadal and Federer were there and just kind of like cheering each other up and like kind of giving each other tips on how to play. It just really has a huge contrast of like, they don't necessarily care on a foundational level on a fun fundamental level about like, who's the best between all three of them. Like they're competitive guys, obviously like they're, they're the most competitive a tennis player can be in, in history. Right. But it doesn't mean that they can't be friends. Or they, it doesn't mean that they have to be disrespectful towards each other. It's just at the end of the day, did you kind of feel like that um, dude bro vibe? And uh, and the signs line is like, yeah, and like it's just like playing sports, right? You just kind of have those yeah. raw emotions. It's I just think that's what's fun. so great yeah. about the three. Yeah. Like they're yeah. they're able to separate the two things because because like they they understand that at the end of the game, tennis is just a game, right? Like it's just. Like we're competing for these big prizes, but at the end of the day, like we're colleagues and we're yeah. in the same job and we're like, we see each other and we've seen each other and we've made each other better over the years and we wouldn't be where we are without the other two. So I think that mutual respect is at least there. Like, yeah, Djokovic and Federer are, haven't really ever, ever been that close, but I think they always had that mutual respect, understanding for each other in terms of, and especially I think they can also connect on a deeper level because they all have, because they're their fathers of kids and i think that's what djokovic really said got him really emotional the next day right mm. it was that seeing um seeing his kids and seeing Murka and seeing uh seeing uh seeing that because he can he can relate to that with uh he, he's on federer's level in terms of relating there and i also think just like it, it, it's kind of fitting i think federer said it himself that he's the one that goes first because he yeah. said it just wouldn't have felt right if for example like he, you know he was really scared for example in 2019 when murray almost retired because of his because of his hip and and now he's obviously carried on and he's playing he's playing tennis and he's 
he's doing well all, all things considering but like yeah it just I, I think it's it's fitting like that it ends right here to be honest yeah, yeah. and I, I honestly like the Laver cup and the format it really proportionated the moment that he had and I was just like watching the Labor Cup this time and it, we always like not to kind of like draw a tangent towards like the Labor Cup at this point, but like while the Labor Cup has a, a bunch of weird problems with like whatever, some people don't really like the format, some people don't like that it's actually counting as like official events for ATP, but all of those, those things don't necessarily like, of all the Labor Cup problems, none of them is tennis related, <laughs> which is a good thing. Like the tennis is really awesome. It's just like, yeah. It's just for the history books in a sense that just kind of like we wished he wasn't really there for a few reasons. But um, in uh, some of the formatting in the sense that like maybe word versus Europe isn't the best way to go about it. And there is a place for women as well to compete and it would be really fun. Um, but, you know, like the, you know, all the quality of tennis and the fact that it proportionated such a great moment with like the big three and everybody really cares about the event, which is like crazy to see like how team world actually yeah they want to so win badly it. yeah yeah like like because they don't want to let their teammates down and you you throw five or six people on the same bench and you're playing for them like it's just it's yeah. like this added weight and pressure that you feel and you know you see players get tight in super tie breaks like I mean, just look at the last match between tiafo and Sitsipas. yeah like yeah. for Jeez. world right like it's just it was tight because they want they don't want to let their team down and it's like and, and then i just love the way they um it, it feels almost like a who was saying this on twitter gil gross was saying it that it, it it almost feels like a mini Netflix series because you're stripping away all those barriers and all those those uh, limitations to access that we don't get in the other tournaments. And yeah. you have this amazing feel of like amazing camera angles, amazing like directing, like you you know the players in the the players you can they're all mic'd up. You can hear everything that they're saying on the yeah. you know with them coaching each other. And you have like this these bits of like content that are just social media gold right because exactly, yeah. they're just they're shared all over the place like anything that you tweeted in the last week like probably went viral yeah <laughs> we had um i i don't know if you guys saw this i got copyright stricken eventually but like um you know ollie on twitter he uh he posts yeah. a lot of points and like media clips um i think he posted the clip of federer and Nadal crying and it got like three hundred thousand likes or something yeah, yeah, yeah i did yeah i saw it when he was when he got copyrighted so like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and yeah like our mutuals like went viral and stuff um yeah. and yeah I, I mean my my gripes with the labor cup are are the way they've um they've dealt with Zverev. like i think the social media ad yeah. blocking everyone who tweeted olia's story was absurd um i think that continues to be a problem and i think the ticket prices were a problem this year like yeah that that's a big problem very but but andre i agree with you that um like the tennis is not a problem. I I didn't notice a difference in the level of competitiveness between this and official matches. Yeah. Um, and to have the comedy at the same time is great. Like um, <laughs> one that sticks with me is um, you know, after Djokovic was just destroying Tiafo in the first set, who was on a great run of form, and you know, Djokovic like literally playing as well as anyone can, and Federer on the bench is like, you know, Djokovic, your uh, Novak, your rally tolerance is so great to see. Keep it up, and Djokovic just says thanks, and it's like yeah. that's a video clip. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I I enjoyed that quite a bit. Oh yeah, and then of course I remember there was another one. Yeah, Djokovic was a was an awesome coach this this week. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. there was the match when Murray and Demon were playing each other, and he's like. Andy, focus on the quality of your own shots. You know, <laughs> don't don't worry about what Alex is doing. You know, he, you know how he's gonna play. Just focus on your strengths. Play up to your game. And it's I was just like, and then right after that, Andy breaks and he holds and he wins the set. And it's just like, wow, like you know, I mean, this is this is golden. There was there was a bit for Federer as well, Nadal. Like you know, there was some comedy when they were playing doubles, and Nadal was like, I just have no feel. I have no. I have no control, like yeah. you know. And then, and it was such a great experience for to see like Casper Ruud there as well, like and Sitsipas. I think they can take some of these experiences and yeah, really learn from them. Like, like what's better than than this for like a weekend? I feel like yeah, yeah. And and I I think it also shows like you know personal personal issues between players aside, like if if Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic can be friends with each other, like, it feels like any rifles can be friends, right? Because, yeah, like, sure. th these guys played matches against each other that, like, changed tennis. You have these five-hour wars, you have blown match points, you have chokes leads, you have, like, wins from two sets to one down, you have, yeah. like, major Streaks finals. broken. Streaks broken. Yeah. Um, Records like, shattered, like, everything. Yeah, 40, 50, 60 matches played against each other. And, like, 
Federer and Djokovic are like laughing about the 2019 Wimbledon final in press. Like Djokovic yeah. brings it up and Federer doesn't go, screw you, Novak, and storm out of there. He laughs. Like that's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I like, I, you know, going back through all the archives and stuff, like I've, I've seen all of their matches and, um, you know, maybe watching them in real time was different. But after seeing all of that, I didn't think we would get to the place we got. Um, yeah. I like, I just think there's so much tension and emotion and, heartbreaking matches there like i'm i'm so amazed they've gotten to where they are now i'm like proud of them really like yeah seriously it's times like this when you just realize like it doesn't really honestly i'm not so interested in anymore in like you know who is the greatest or whatever in terms of like the stats will speak for themselves at the end but it's just Mm -hmm. it's more about like what they meant to tennis their impact like how they made fans feel overall, like how they made each other better. I think those are like the better takeaways, honestly, because yeah. you're, you're never really going to see a generation like this come again, like with three or four players, like just over 18 years having won that much and made each other better people as well as better players. It's like, yeah, like they, yeah. they just come full circle. It's, I can't believe yeah. it, honestly. I, I, there were times last week where I just like, I can't believe what I'm actually watching. Like it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think back to 2012, where each of them won a major. By the end of the year, it was not exactly clear which one of them was on top. And they started 2013, like, basically all fighting with each other. I mean, Nadal injured at that point, so it was more of the other three. Um, but, like, you had phases like that where, like, there you get a combination of... Or, like, you get one of the editions of the rivalry at every single major. Like, they're trying to take each other down. They're trying to build legacies. Like... It, it was just like as intense as it could get. Um, and yeah, and somehow they've managed to separate that from how they feel about each other personally, um, which is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Labor yeah. Cup itself, I think they do a really good job in the form, in the format, in the sense, like, even if the teams feel super uneven, mm-hmm. like, you still have to win it on the third day, right? Because yeah, yeah. the, the doubles helps, the super yeah, tie and then, helps. And then it's the three points on, on the second day, on the yeah. third day. I, I like that actually because it just increases the stakes. Because yeah. the, the way that it, they did it, I think it's pretty ingenious because mm-hmm. they have, I think, 24 points up for grabs, something like that. And uh, yeah, if you if you win all of the matches from days one and two, you're still one point short of winning. Yeah. <laughs> so technically, you could still like tie it up like winning all four or all of the matches on the on the third day so that really makes it like interesting in terms of format i was looking at it the other day and this day and i was thinking wow this is actually really like a really interesting idea to make things like competitive up to almost the last second of course like if they win though just the one match like on day three it's kind of down and dusted but still um but yeah i think it's a uh, labor cup aside yeah <laughs> Don't really have much else to what, say. What did we think of yeah. Federer's on-court interview after he uh, with Courier? Uh, first of all, Jim Courier is one of the best on-court interviewers in, in tennis. Period. But I, I, I got to be honest, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I've been trying to save something um, yeah. because it all happening at once was, e- even though I like it didn't totally resonate with me emotionally. It was just such a nostalgia bomb, really. Like everything mm. happening at once. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to save something. Yeah, the the thing I was I couldn't really watch much of the interview because I was I wasn't home, so I was kind of watching on my phone. <laughs> I was supposed to be to do to be doing something else, and uh, but yeah, I, I got some time to kind of like watch just like the match point and uh, like the final yeah. moments of the tiebreaker, and I watched just a little bit of it because like they after that they all had like a little bit of moment in which like Federer just hugging everybody, and then after like a solid maybe like fifteen twenty minutes, that's when he hit the interview. So at that point, I was already checked out because I had something else to be doing. <laughs> But yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch it. But I. I don't know what happens like the, during the interview from Federer. But like, I feel like from the interview that I that I uh, I watched at the end of the Labor Cup when Team World won, what it looked like was that they had a very tight schedule. <laughs> That's for me, like what it was happening. So I don't, yeah. I'm not sure exactly what happened. But like, <laughs> I feel like career is really good I mean, at like putting putting things forward when he needs to. <laughs> I mean, the way he looked the next day was just crazy because. He has this really emotional night, the most emotional night of his life. He probably goes to bed at like 5 or 6 a.m., right? <laughs> and and he just wakes up the next morning and he just looks like, you know, he just looks back to old goofy Federer again. Like, I, I just feel like he has this vibe about him that's just, it feels so unreal. Like, yeah. I, I can see why he has this kind of aura because on the one hand, he feels like just a normal, regular, goofy kind of guy. But then he also has this larger than life type aura where it's like, 
Yeah. Like you can just see like when he's walking into a room or like when he's coming, he just has something. There's like a different kind of charm about him just because of like what he's meant for tennis, right? But then he has the ability to just like play a ping pong rally with Diego Schwartzman yeah. and just, you know, play just just be like his him his normal self. And I, I I feel like he was able to balance those two things really good. And yeah. that's why he's that's one of the reasons why he's so popular, because he can he can relate to any person that he speaks to on on their level. Like Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the points that uh Christopher Clary brings in the in his book the the master mm -hmm. that he wrote like his was yeah, one of the things that Federer really like when they interviewed yeah. him like his interviews were a blast to listen to because he said that like Federer has like an like this natural curiosity that he makes yeah he makes everybody feel like he really cares about who's this who's this talking to and whatever somebody some what people are talking it kind of feels like he's actually actively listening and actually interested in what you have to say just yeah. crazy to think Which about is right? Wild, like, right like, yeah, like you yeah. could have the dumbest question ever in a press conference and he'd give you an interesting answer sometimes like you could just ask him sometimes if, if he, he loses he can get a little bit moody but, but that's okay that yeah yeah <laughs> but but just in a normal natural interview setting right yeah yeah let's say like before a tournament or you know after a big win or something like that he it feels like he could just give you like it, he would go in different directions that you feel like he didn't you you didn't think were possible yeah yeah i'm i'm very impressed with how you know because he has his he's To put it bluntly, he's very rich, right? He has his hands in a lot of pies. He's going to be yeah. around tennis for a while. Yeah. And so I think he could get away with having like this very like vain, aloof personality, you know, like you're not my time, like like you're not worth yeah. my time. Like I'm not going to bother yeah. talking to you, but he doesn't. Like he's he's also the nice guy, like we've been saying. Um, everyone says they feel good talking to him in the locker room. Um, and I so like I think in in those ways, like all the success didn't go to his head. Um mm -hmm. No, which is yeah. which is pretty crazy because he's had a lot of success um like a lot of success especially in those early years um and yeah i like i think he's a great ambassador for the sport um that's not anything new that people will be hearing for the first time but yeah, <laughs> yeah, worth, yeah. Worth no it. i remember um andy roddick on uh, i think it was andrew burton who tweeted this but he said that andy roddick said on tc that i absolutely love and respect roger federer i don't say that about many people who ruined my life for a decade right <laughs> I, another tweet that went viral yeah and then what he added on is like for me it's what he's done when no one is watching that will be his legacy and that's what you were kind of referring to like with the locker room mm -hmm. moments with the those kind of like those conversations with people that he's probably met over the years like could be anyone from like a tournament cameraman or a ball boy yeah. to like a speaking of a tournament cameraman yeah. i was watching a I was watching a. Um, I was just looking for content for a tennis Canada, like a thank you video and whatever. And I can, I was looking for good tidbits and interviews and stuff. So that was one that was a pre. Um, it was a post match interview that he did in Canada, like back in two thousand six or four. Um, so he had a long hair, Federer, um, like really baby face and things like that. And he was just talking about like how after a match, it's just kind of goofing with the people in the interview room, and he was saying that like a camera guy just kind of like got really close to his face and he was like the guy could essentially see like through my ears and then i was like and then people was like oh yeah it's probably ryan or something like that whatever and he goes like and they ask do you have a message for him federer and he goes like yeah and he looks dead onto the camera he's like ryan if you ever get this close to me again boom and he goes like with like the emotion like as if like it's gonna hit him in the face and it just starts laughing and yeah. just messing up with the people like in the interview it was just just really really funny about like how he interacts with everybody like on a very like like on level it's like he's like at the same yeah. level as everyone so it's kind of really hilarious he, he feels like a guy you could just go out and have a beer with and just essentially yeah yeah like like there's that video of him and rafa just laughing continuously for 45 minutes oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. kinda... classic when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah. Do that and it's like that was like 2010. I mean, that's like that's wild. That was 12 years ago. But that's yeah. Um uh, what are your favorite uh on court federer moments? Yeah, I was about to ask. Hmm. Mm. I mean, if I just say 2017 Australian Open, I feel like that's the most. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty solid. Kind of I mean, it's a pretty great answer. one. Like that was that was one of the Federer wins that I did watch, um, and that was incredible. Yeah, for me, it was just how much his game changed during that whole period, right? Because obviously, four and a half years he didn't win a major, but he was still getting to finals. He was still pushing Djokovic. He was still, you know, after 2013, most people thought it was it was the end because you're near 30 and you're 31 at that. And Roddy had retired. A lot of his other rivals from his era had retired. And you were pretty much thinking, okay, this is, he's not the same player anymore. But then he switches to the other racket, you know, 98, 97 inches, 98 inches, and, you know, improves some technical aspects of his game, like his backhand. He starts hitting over it. He, you know, he starts serving bigger. He starts coming to the net. He adds Edberg on his team. And then he goes through all these things and then he has knee surgery again. And so you're thinking, okay, now this is, this is going to be like one icing on the cake in 2017. But then he just, he really came back just, uh, he had this resurgence. He got back to number one in 2018. He did. And he, he, the fact that he was able to get three majors more after that and get to number one and be really like in the mix all the way until the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. Like, I think one of my favorite like Federer moments and um Murray Musing Musings have to pardon me for this one, but like 2012 Wimbledon, like yeah. against uh like when he when he finally won a Grand Slam again. Um after I think 2011 he didn't win anything. Yeah, Djokovic dominated yeah. it. And then yeah, so he comes out and like wins Wimbledon and another time it was like phenomenal because he felt like at that point everybody was just saying like if Federer gets to a semifinal, it's going to be huge already. So, like, mm-hmm. nobody could see Federer winning. And it was at that moment when Federer was... Um, everybody was just saying, like, he, he was going to retire very soon. Uh, he was past 30 years old. He, he, could have, he would have been, like, 30, 31 or something like that. Um, and, of course, like, with Djokovic up and coming, like, in his ba- the best years of his career, essentially. And Nadal, obviously, like, playing really well, having just won... Um, the U.S. Open in 2010, just kind of showing everybody that he couldn't win on every surface in every Grand Slam, just kind of felt like, well, Federer is definitely out at this point. And he, to be fair, like he he was definitely third best, like in his uh in the the, the past decade. But yeah, is a pretty solid third best to win five Grand Slams. So it's it's yeah. still pretty good. Um. Uh. So yeah, like I mean, that Wimbledon just really felt really good to see Federer winning. So um, it was like. Oh my gosh, he can still do it past thirty. And of course, like 2017 happened. Just it feels like 2012. Federer was a baby. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I also feel like Djokovic is inspired by Roger in the sense he knows he, he's seen Roger like play into late into his thirties, and he's at this point in his career now, right? Where I feel like he's thinking to himself, "I could do it too." You know, I could keep going until I'm late thirties and even hit forty and. It just feels mm-hmm. like it, it's it's possible. It, it wasn't like that before. Yeah, and and if Djokovic doesn't get in his own way with these multi month breaks, like like he had this year, like he'll he, he'll do it too. You see him beat Chelich today. Yeah, yeah. Like one he, he's, he's still got it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, he's just so fresh right now this year yeah. because he hasn't, hasn't yeah, played. Too. He hasn't missed anything, and he, he, during that time, he was training, and clearly, he's in great shape. Yeah, but but yeah, like I I think in in coming first, like. I think Federer pushed the other two to sort of design their games to beat him. And in doing so, like those two, like then made Federer improve. And then the three of them just like took tennis to this, this place yeah. that it hadn't been before. I mean, like I, I will still like consistently go back and watch their rallies from like that 2008 to 2014 period where it's just like, they're inventing new patterns because of like the court coverage they have and like the angles they would try to hit. It's ridiculous. Like it still yeah. makes me laugh even after I've seen them like dozens of times. Um, 
yeah like what they've done for tennis yeah. is hard to put into words. yeah i think it's crazy like I, when you said like they were reinventing like the way tennis is played i can't it's it's 100 that because how you watch just pe pick any match from between like 2000 2002 when like baseline tennis was kind of like on its resurgence it was becoming the mainstream pattern in tennis was playing from the baseline Mm -hmm. uh and Federer and Hewitt and Roddick were, were pretty much the guys who brought this about and Curtin as well like on uh on click court kind of made like a little bit more of an attacking style rather than just like rallying um but it's really interesting right because yeah. the string technology changed during that yeah exactly like the Lux salon and I remember yeah. Curtin was kind of the first guy to went to yeah. went to but, it and... yeah but you you see those rallies between like Federer and Hewitt and they feel so slow. Like I feel like any, yeah. it feels like Federer 2017, like on the movement that he was like 2019, they could smoke them each other out like that easily because they take the ball so much earlier and they just hit so much flatter. And just like sometimes like when they're attacking flatter, but like Nadal, like the, the, uh, the addition of like attacking spin to actually accelerate on the ball, not just like miss the net and just kind of like making a neutral rally, but actually using spin as an attacking shot. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's just novelty in the game like they really did transform the way that players actually hit the ball and construct the point yeah I, I mean one of my favorite ways to kind of observe like the dissonance between like pre-federer and like federer um myself is like to watch him play agassi in like 2003 to 2005 because like you know agassi maybe wasn't at his peak then but he was still he won a major in 2003 he made a major final in 2005 like he was still like beating most players out there and you watch him play Federer and he Federer makes him look like a junior because Federer yeah. not only like has the huge forehand, which is easily the biggest shot on court and he has a much better serve so he can blast Agassi away, but he also defends better. Like he was covering the court in a way who like, and Agassi had a great forehands. Like people would marvel at Agassi's forehand and like Agassi couldn't hit winners against him because Federer got to everything. So like, you know, sometimes Agassi would like aim for the line and like, he'd get a winner, but like, it would feel lucky to me when he did that. And like Federer, when he does that, it's just like, you know, how much easy power he has on his forehand. It was like, he wasn't even trying. And so you watch these rallies and like Agassi can't hit through Federer and he can't defend against Federer. Um, and Federer did that to everyone. Um, he just like completely demolished them on offense and defense. Like, I think one thing people do forget about him is like how amazing his defense and his passing shots were when he came off, because that was something that, Djokovic and Nadal somehow did even better and I think that obscured how good Federer was at it at first but like you know you watch him play these Wimbledon matches against Roddick and he's passing Roddick from all these crazy positions like from anywhere on the court these ridiculous angles um and you know Roddick is frustrated like he knows what the problem is but he doesn't he doesn't have a backup plan either because nothing works um and it's just amazing to go back and watch yeah yeah and then you see the way he's transformed. Like he, you know, he's came up during the time of the surfing volleyers. Yeah. And, you know, when he, essentially when he won 2003 Wimbledon, he was serving and volleying quite a bit and coming forward and playing as well from the back. So he, he had the, he had the power, he had the speed and he had the touch and he just had the, the natural instincts. And then as he went along in his career during that 2004 to 2010, it felt like he was, he was the best offense. He had the best offensive game and the best defensive game because mm -hmm. you felt like there was just no place on the court that felt safe. Like, you know, you go to his backhand and you're like, he'll dice you up with all of his 50 slices that he has. And he literally has that many slices because he has, he has slices that are, that stay really low and short and they bring people in and they, it forces them to hit a really tough approach. And then he has those flick pass shots with his wrists that he just somehow does on the backhand wing where he just shortens the swing and he just, and you have no idea where it's going. And then, you know, the way he can return your serve and just kind of just, just dice you up. And then how, how easily he just made it all look with his fluidity and the way he moved. And it felt at times like he was kind of gliding on the court, right? You see players today and they're sliding all over the place and they make it look, and it's ex extremely physical sport and it takes hours and hours of coordination and training. And But Federer was just somehow able to do all of that in yeah. this way that just looked... It, it looks so effortless beyond belief that yeah. if you tried to do it on a court, yeah. you'd probably make a fool of yourself. And there's yeah. still no one, there's still really no one in the modern game, I feel like, who can make it look that simple, you know, put everything together like with that kind of ease. Like there's players who move just as well, who have incredible, who, who are, you know, efficient in their own way, but 
not to the way, not perfectly calibrated the way Roger was in terms of how, yeah, just like how smooth and effortless it looked. Yeah, and maybe the smoothness I kind of helped him in terms of like remaining injury free in a lot of ways. Of course, like he yeah. he, he obviously had the uh, detailed planning and scheduling that he always went through. He was very like careful with his body, but like maybe yeah. it has a little bit. It kind of like a good mix of both. He 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 definitely did use his talent to the best of his abilities that he could use because yeah. it could have easily just kind of like gone wrong in the sense that like he could have scheduled poorly or like because he, he suffered injuries as well like he wasn't he wasn't free from that like mainly the back i think was the thing that bothered him the most of his career uh until yeah, then he came a, about yeah an ongoing thing yeah but yeah like a, but he always took the, the appropriate time he always felt like if yeah you, exactly you know so he, if he, he was if very good at the it, next yeah. couple of months yeah. so be it i'll just we'll come back stronger and Every time he did play and once he competed, he, he never wanted to retire. He never wanted to yeah. finish mid-match. He just sort of felt like, I'll just make the best with what I have. Yeah. And I'll just... I do, I do feel like one thing that Federer took a little bit of a while to figure out and become really good at, unfortunately for him, was, was Clay. So I feel like he had this period in his career. Um, up until 2004... He was pretty much game. Like people could beat him in, at Roland Garros. He would win clay courts, of course, but uh, he wasn't not nearly as dominant as like you know as he was on clay on grass and on hard courts. Yeah, I think it was a lot easier early on his career, especially to get the ball super high up to his backhand. Yeah, and also just for him to you know he just wasn't as cons- all those other parts of his game didn't really come together. Yeah. I feel like it, it also yeah. Four, feels like he then, could he could not really get the mix of defense and attack properly by that time. But yeah, yeah, it was just a little little harder for him maybe to finish points, and you know he didn't necessarily blow you away with heavy power right off of both wings. So it, yeah. it felt like on on the clay court it was it was more t- even though that's the surface he grew up on and he played yeah you know most of his early yeah. junior days on it just felt like. I, uh, although, like, while we can sort of nitpick him on clay, like, the reality like, is from 2005 to 2012, yeah, he was the second best. Yeah, exactly. Like, he would have He was beating like, everyone not yeah. named Rafa. So and, yeah. I mean, 2012, he lost to Djokovic. 2010, it was Soderling. But the other years, literally just lost to Nadal. Yeah, besides exactly. the time he won yeah, in 2009. So, like, you know, at any other era, I'm fully confident he would have won four or five of those yeah. things. I do. I do think that that's the issue. Though, like, he, by the time that he became good enough to win Roland Garros, Rafa was already was better. So, um, yeah, it, it was an unfortunate like turn of events for him that Rafa appeared. But it also was good as we were talking about how they made each other better. Better it just kind of prevented him from making yeah. a few more, uh, for adding a few more trophies, I guess, in his trophy room. But yeah, and of course, the way that he you know reversed that head to head against Rafa, winning yeah. six of the last seven. In the same time, yeah. he did lose six of the net last seven against Novak, but it yeah. just it felt felt like okay, he he really problem solved here. He found something, and he was able to stick to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, twenty seventeen Australian Open final is the one we talk about, but the twenty nineteen Wimbledon semi was nuts as well. I think yeah. like the last two sets he made like seven on four, five on four errors in total or something. He was untouchable those last two yeah. sets against Rafa. Um, you know, like I mean that last game. He he had two match points, and it all saved them both with winners. There was a break point. Federer thirty all like dumped a smash into the net, and he held serve after all of that. Um, and you know was a point away from winning that final. Like, I mean, we talk about that because it. To put it bluntly, it was a choke. But the fact that he got so close to winning that tournament at thirty seven is insane. I I gave him no shot going into that final. I yeah. gave him no shot going into the semifinal for that matter. Um, and he nearly beat them both back to back at 37 in long matches. Um, that's insane. Yeah, I think yeah. that just adds to his legacy. To be honest, yeah, absolutely. To come that close, be what, 10 centimeters away, like you know. It's, and uh, speaking of yeah. legacy, like how about we finish this, like uh, making a little bit of a list, if you will. Like, what do you guys think was one the best match that Federer has played, and to what his most important match? Because they may not be the same. On the court, I mean, this is hard. <laughs> He might have I lost the, the best match. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, there's, there's too many. But, um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, one that, one that comes to mind for me, I, I don't think this is the highest quality, but it's one of my favorite ones to revisit, um, is honestly the 2009 Australian Open final, um, which sort of gets overshadowed by the 2008 Wimbledon final. And the last set and a half of that match was not very good. 
But if you watch the rallies that he and Nadal have in the first three and a half sets, it's like they're both on speed. Um, the way they move is insane. Um, I think everyone will remember that famous rally in the fourth set um, to all deuce. Um, Federer hits a ridiculous squash shot um, dead on the run that like goes flying into the other corner. One of the best shots I've ever seen, and it doesn't even win him the point. Um he did a lot of good attacking with his backhand in that match. Um, that's one of my favorite highlight rewatches, uh, just because I think those three and a half sets were peak Federer and it all. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, there's there's been some times where he's just made really, really good opponents look inferior. Like early on in his career, I mean, obviously the 2004 US Open final against Hewitt. You watch that, it's like 6 yeah. 7 6, 6 Yeah. And Hewitt is, you know, still playing really good tennis at that time and still looks looks like he can challenge Federer and you know still had a head-to-head edge over him and Federer just goes in and just absolutely destroys him like it's yeah. you know to the point where you really felt for Hewitt because it's like my goodness the things that he can do on the court and package it together and yeah it, I, it, I, I liked the 2003 Wimbledon semi with Roddick as well because I think Roddick was favored to win that one yeah um, and Federer just, like, I mean, first set was close. And after that, Federer just, like, cut him up with passing shots. Um, I think he, he had something like 62 winners, so like 12 on four errors in that match. Um, yeah. You know, Wimbledon generous with the sats, but that was, that was wild. Yeah, and I think it just impressed me how many of those close matches that he lost, but he was able to bounce back from, you know, very quickly. Like, when he lost the 2008 Wimbledon, finally he was able to win the U.S. Open, get back to number one the following yeah. year. When he lost the 2011 U.S. Open semi against Djokovic, he then went on yeah. a tear and won, got back to number one a year later and had a really good first half of 2012. There's just there's just so many moments like that where I feel like for every match that he lost with match points, though, there's also one that he won that he probably shouldn't have won. And I mm-hmm. think he knows that in his mind. So I think that's what helps him get over some of these, which is amazing. Like, I don't know how he, he's able to do that. Yeah. And, and sleeps, you know, so and be so proud because he, he can be, but then it's just like, you know, there's so many matches like the 2009 Roland Garros match against Haas. You know, if that forehand inside out winner was a little yeah. bit wide or misses yeah. by a bit, he doesn't have a French Open. And then now we could have, be having a very different conversation about his legacy. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I think his most important, I think I have three matches that for him were like the most important matches that he's ever played. And in no particular order, like, 2009 both finals of Roland Garros and Wimbledon because those those were like the key moments for him to finish like essentially every record that made people say that he was the GOAT um so like tying Pete Sampras winning Roland Garros and then surpassing Pete Sampras um he did that in six years that is wild still yeah 2003 to 2009 and and I mean Robin Soderling match wasn't incredible but like the Wimbledon final was pretty solid like a really good match that Roddick really played his part really well and no comments on 2017 we already know about that about that one so Australian Open final the the 2009 Wimbledon final might be my favorite like individual Federer moment because that one I watched Wimbledon's extended highlights before I knew the results of the match and so I'm kind of watching and they're catching me off and it's like so Roddick has won the first set and then it starts playing point by point when he's 6-2 off in the second set tie break um And so I was thinking, like, man, Federer's screwed. And then he hits, like, this flick backhand winner for 6-3, and then he hits two big serves, and then we all know what happens at 6-5. And then Federer wins the next two points to win the tiebreak. Just reels off six points in a row like it was nothing. Like, stayed calm. And then, like, you know, Roddick sails this last backhand past the baseline, and Federer, you, for a second before the crowd goes wild, you hear Federer go, oh, hey, because he's, like, evened the match. Um, And you immediately know, like, I think the commentators even said, like, well, that's probably the few minutes that's going to decide this match like um and and it was even though the fifth set was as close as it was um yeah he just it just amazed me how in control he was yeah yeah in control and then those those years in the middle right where he just went on these streaks like 23 consecutive major semifinals like winning getting to 18 out of 19 major finals like just that one loss to Djokovic in 2008 at the Australian Open like that's it this one loss in the semis and he made like nine, he would have had 19 in a row. And then he had like, I think 36 straight quarterfinals. Like some of these are just never going to be beaten. I feel like, or those 237 weeks consecutively at number one. Yeah. Just that take, takes a lot of, that uh, yeah. It takes a lot of consistency, like more so, like I would say 
the two thousand the two hundred and thirty seven weeks on number one consecutive is is just ridiculous. It's yeah. almost insurmountable, like in my in my view. But I think the the uh, quarterfinals record that he has in the semifinals, it's just mad consistency and versatility. Like to to achieve that in every Grand Slam that you play, like one after the other without a break, because he he played. I think all of those consecutively, he didn't like. Um, it's not like he kind of missed like a, a ruling. Yeah, he didn't miss any. Yeah, that so he, but, yeah. I mean, 2008 was a bad year for him. Yeah, he only won one major. Exactly. And only made two other major finals. Yeah, like, and then 2008 for Federer. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, didn't people start talking a little bit about retirement in 2008? I mean, like 2012. I know it came up, which is insane because yeah, that's. I mean, a year I know that David Law asked him and after he won 2007 with against Rafa. Oh, God. He asked him in the BBC and putting throwing David Law under the bus here, but he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, so Roger, do you think at the end, do you think you're going to be able to play the 2012 London Olympics? Oh, like, wow. do you think you'll be able to play that long? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think um, for me, the most striking line in the Master, like Chris Clary's book about Federer, I don't think I have it with me, but anyway, he's talking about winning Roland Garros or something, and I think it's like 2004 or 2003, and he goes like. You know, you saw Pete, you saw Andre, so I'll maybe have like anywhere between like seven to eight, so like fifteen more chances to win this thing. And Chris Clary just goes like fifteen, and Federer's like, yeah, fifteen. And he's talking about playing until he's like thirty-eight or something, which was oh, unthinkable yeah. at the time. Uh, and it's what he yeah. does. Yeah, that's crazy. That's just how much Federer loves the game and how much he yeah. he did for it. And just to cap it off, I guess my my two choices for best matches is played two thousand six Rome and. Uh, 2009 Australian Open. I'm with you on that one. I think it was one of his best matches yeah, ever. This is all the matches that he's lost, which is crazy. Those yeah. were some of his best. He's got just, an amazing. It just tells how much, how good you have to be. Yeah, like Federer's catalog of like close losses and like epic matches is unbelievable. Like, and and I don't mean this as a slight against him or or even necessarily a compliment to Djokovic and at all. It's just like the amount of close losses he's had in these amazing matches, like 2006 Rome, like. 2009 Australia, 2008 Wimbledon, 2019 Wimbledon, um, 2014 Wimbledon, um, like all these matches, like four setters and five setters. Um, it's insane. Like all the wins, all the losses, all the close losses. Like, yeah, I he needs multiple books written about his career, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could write a book for every slam that he's played, essentially. Probably, yeah. 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 Just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Good place to wrap up. I, I have to. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, we're wrapping up with uh, Owen's next uh, huge project for his life: writing a book on every single one of Grand Federer's Grand Slams. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. I was thinking recently. Um, I mean, I don't know how I would get these quotes, but it would be cool to like talk to everyone. Like, I mean, the big four, and then like some of the lost gen people, and do like an oral history of the two thousand twelve Australian Open because I feel like that was like peak big four. Um. And get them to talk about like all the matches and the semis and the final and stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, gonna need to wait many years to get that kind of access, I think. Yeah, be good context, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> big project um, though. I'm uh, I'm all I'm all in for it. If I can help you in any way, I will do it. I I appreciate that. Though. Yeah, <laughs> um, guys, this was great. Um, sorry it's been so long. Um, talk to you next week. All right, see you guys. It was great to talk to you again, and uh, yeah. Happy retirement, Roger. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.